Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. This week, we are popping open a bottle of brandy, and we will analyze Prisoner of Azkaban Chapter 2, Aunt Marge's Big Mistake. And to help us with today's discussion, we're joined by one of our supporters over on Patreon, Sherry. Hi, Sherry. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Awesome. It's great to have you. Let's start by getting your fandom ID. I am a Gryffindor, and I'm really Gryffindor. So I do have a strong side of Hufflepuff, too. My favorite book is this book, Prisoner of Azkaban. Yes. My favorite movie, I'm not super fond of the movies, but I do love the first one because it brought the magic and the wonder to life. My wand is Hazel and Unicorn. My Patronus is a horse, and I was incredibly disappointed because I wanted it to be a dog. I've had guide dogs since I was 17, and I thought my spirit animal would be a dog. So I'll just claim, you know, Sirius or something as my Patronus. You know what, Sherry? They do say (laughs) it is our choices, though, so... Mm, I think right. you can choose a dog Patronus. Yeah, a Labrador like my dog is a yellow lab. So. Oh. And Sherry, when you and I met a few days ago, you told me this great story about how you got into Harry Potter. So can you share that with everybody as well? Absolutely. So I am totally blind. And most of my life, I read books from the National Library Service for the Blind uh, on records or later on cassettes. In 1999, my best friend, and at that time I was 42, so I'm one of those adult fans when the books were first out. My best friend said, you want to read this book with me? And I said, well, okay. But I thought, what kind of a book is called Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone? That sounds pretty stupid. (laughs) But the joke was on me because I fell in love from the first sentence and was over heels head over heels and obsessed by the end of the first chapter, Harry Potter, the series really, really changed my life. Before Harry Potter came along in the nineties, we had commercial audio cassettes books, but they were mostly abridged. Harry Potter was the first commercial audio book series that was completely unabridged from the beginning. And they came out at the same time that the print books came out. So for the last three midnight releases, I was in bookstores at midnight buying my book on CD when the sighted people were buying their print books. This had never happened because the National Library Service for the Blind was, they were often behind. So whatever the best, most popular book was, say in 1983, that book might not have been available to me for two or more years. Wow. Wow. So here I was, this whole world was talking about Harry Potter. And I was finally able to participate and to be a part of it. I joined an adult uh, Yahoo group called Harry Potter for Grownups. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No, but we know Yahoo well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. By the end, the this kind of group kind of fizzled out after the books were finished. But by the end, I was one of the group moderators. We called ourselves the List Elves, like house <laughs> elves, but List Elves. I also discovered fan fiction, ended up writing fan fiction myself. And because of writing fan fiction, I am a published author today. Oh, wow. wow. 
All this happened because of Harry Potter. That's amazing. Since the Potter books, all the audiobooks that come out commercially, say on Audible, they're unabridged. They come out the same day as the print books for the most part. And one little tidbit more for blind kids who read Braille, for the first time ever, they got the last Harry Potter book in Braille on the day that it was released in print and audio. And that had never happened before. That's incredible. That just makes me so happy. Thank you so much for sharing that, Sherry. You know, this is one of the many great things that came from Harry Potter, but we don't talk about this aspect much. Its popularity caused major shifts in the publishing industry, including pushing the audiobook industry into unabridged adaptations for all books and day and date releases so people who are blind could experience the thrill of midnight releases and complete stories alongside those with sights. Sherry, I have to ask, um, I used to moderate fan fiction and I used to write Harry Potter fan fiction. What kind of fan fiction did you write? Well, I wrote fan fiction in other genres mostly, but I do have a one shot called Serious Black and Becoming a Godfather or Becoming a Father, I think it is. And it was my sort of dream story of Sirius making people listen to him on the night the Potters were killed instead of going after Peter. Oh, man. Eric would love this. Yeah. <laughs> he makes Dumbledore listen to him. He shows him his wand, which doesn't have any bad curses, you know, when they do the Priorian Cantatum. He says, you know, look at my memories, read my mind, give me truth serum. I did not set up the Potters. I did not do this. Wow. And because of that, he gets Dumbledore can't fight the custody. And I'm sorry, Andrew, I'm not a Dumbledore fan. <laughs> You're in no! great company, yes. Sherry. Great no! company. I, I'm loving this. <laughs> Sherry, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be able to up his lie count this chapter. But Not in this chapter. We're going to definitely do it this book. <laughs> I applaud every time. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some requests in the Discord wanting the link. So I think you're going to get some readers. Is this also the work you published or is that something no. different? My my novel is completely not related to any fan fiction I've written. I want people to know that. It's technically categorized as a romance, but it's a lot more than that. It's called Haven and uh, it takes place in a fictitious town in Colorado where I was living at the time I wrote it. And the main female character is a blind woman who has just had her child taken away in a custody case solely on the basis that she is blind. Wow. Oh, wow. And this this does happen to disabled parents, and I wanted to write about that. This never happened to me. I'm not a parent, but it has happened to a lot of disabled parents. And a lot of states are passing laws to make it illegal to do that, but it does still happen. Wow. And I want always wanted to write books where... There was a blind character, but the way you know that they're blind is because they use a cane or they have a guide dog or they read Braille or they use a screen reader. I didn't want it to be what I call how I live life as a blind person. Yeah. I yeah. wanted it to just show that blindness is normal and it's okay. But it's a it's gotten really good reviews from blind people and sighted people, which was what I really wanted. 
And uh, I think it's a good story. That's amazing. Awesome. Well, and it has great reviews too on Amazon and Audible. Yeah. I'm seeing. Yes, it so does. Congratulations. I was going to ask Sherry, do you have a, a preferred? vendor or anywhere that you would recommend our listeners go to purchase your book? You can go to amazon.com. It's there in Kindle and paperback. Great. And you can also get it from Audible. That's awesome. Our listeners are on it today, Sherry. We've already got a link to your (laughs) fan fiction in our Discord as well. (laughs) They're saving us a lot of work. You don't need to send it to us now. And I found the the Amazon listing. So we are good to go in terms of show note links. Yeah. Well, congratulations (laughs) on all of that, Sherry. That's amazing. Yes. Well, thank you again, Sherry, for sharing that. And welcome to the show. Before we jump into chapter by chapter, Micah, you've got a bit of news. Yeah, so Eric and I will be at LeakyCon 2023 in Chicago later on this summer, August 4th through the 6th. Uh, We're really excited to be going and attending and being back in person. We wanted to make sure listeners were aware that we will be out there. We're still figuring out exactly what all the programming is going to look like, but I know the last time we were in Boston, we were able to do a MuggleCast meetup with a number of our listeners, which was a lot of fun, uh, and then also a lot of other different programming throughout the weekend. So more details to follow, but just wanted to make sure that the listeners were aware. Okay, great. Head over to LeakyCon.com for more information. All right. And one other thing we wanted to plug quick, Laura and I do a podcast every Wednesday called Millennial, and I wanted to plug it this week because there have been a lot of stories lately about TikTok potentially being banned in the United States outright, and we're going to be talking about that on this week's episode. So if you're curious to know if we think TikTok will truly be banned and why it might be banned in the first place, definitely check that out. Laura, you and I have a lot of fun on Millennial with our friend Pam talking about the latest news and our own lives, right? We definitely do. Um, And we love talking about how all of these stories impact millennials and why they're important to millennials. Um, Particularly this week, I'm excited to talk about this story because I waste a lot of time on TikTok, y'all. What am I going to do if it gets banned? (laughs) I, I see there's tears rolling down Laura's face right now. She's already <laughs> I know. shuddering at the thought. It's okay, Laura. We'll get through this together. <laughs> Millennialshow.com is where you can check it out. You can also search for it in your favorite podcast app and you'll find it there. And without further ado, let's jump into chapter by chapter. This week, we're discussing chapter two of Prisoner of Azkaban and Marge's big mistake. And we'll start with our seven word summary. So here we go. Ant. Marge. Enjoys. Ooh. Abusing. Harry's. Harry. Every. Minute. That is perfect. Perfect Perfect (laughs) summary of this chapter. So, the last chapter ended, Harry Potter felt just like everyone else after receiving gifts from his loved ones for his birthday. And that will include having family problems, Harry. It is his birthday, and the chapter begins the following morning, and we get our first introduction, actually, to Sirius Black. 
as Harry is listening to a news report on the Dursleys' shiny new television. And the reporter goes, The public is warned that Black is armed and extremely dangerous. A special hotline has been set up, and any sighting of Black should be reported immediately. And Vernon is watching this report and quickly judges Sirius. And in hindsight, I think, these can all be taken as hints that Sirius is actually a wizard. Vernon says, no need to tell us he's no good. Look at the state of him, the filthy layabout. Look at his hair. And as Harry notes to himself here, Vernon always complains about his hair, too. So it's almost not just a hint that it's a it's a wizard, but it's a hint that um, he's related to Harry. And actually, a few pages later, Petunia tells Harry to fix up his hair. Yeah. Vernon is also describing Sirius as a lunatic without knowing that Sirius is a wizard. And I thought that was interesting because that's how Vernon would describe wizards as well. And he also says that people like Sirius deserve to be hung. And that made me think of the Salem witch trials. So just all these hints about him potentially being a wizard. Yeah, and eagle-eyed readers might remember that Sirius Black gets name-checked in Chapter 1 of Sorcerer's Stone when Hagrid mentions that he borrows Sirius's motorbike to get Harry to Privet Drive. Although... I actually forgot about that. When I first read this book, I definitely did not pick up on that connection. It wasn't until after I finished the book that I realized that that Sirius had been checked earlier on in the series. No, that... That's such a great call out. And um, what I like about this too is it continues to show Vernon's ignorance. Sirius just escaped from prison. I'm not sure what he expects your average everyday prisoner to look like in terms of appearance. I'm presuming uh, Sirius was not at some white collar facility. Uh, You know, he's been locked up in prison for a good long period of time. And so, the expectation is that he would look a little bit unkempt, right? I mean, that that's probably being a little bit biased in general, but I'm just thinking that Vernon, you know, his priorities are not necessarily where they should be. It also shows Vernon's prejudices and they definitely extend beyond just Terry. Yeah. Yeah. He's very judgmental and prejudiced of anything outside of his little environment yeah and anybody who doesn't look like him anybody who isn't clean cut it's also interesting going off of laura's point that we're not told where sirius escaped from um you know if we are able to make that connection back to the first chapter of sorcerer's stone it gives the reader an early sense of how important or dangerous sirius might be given that he would be mentioned on muggle news right and i i think it's always so interesting to consider what the Muggle relations offices must look like at the ministry. We definitely know from uh, Half-Blood Prince that there is some kind of relationship between political leaders in the Muggle world and the wizarding world, but there has to be some kind of criminal investigations office that handles matters of public safety like this. So it is interesting to think about how many details do these wizarding liaison offices give to their muggle counterparts? um, And how do they make those decisions? What is considered to be enough information? What's considered to be too much? What might create a panic for people? Um, It it is interesting to consider what that would look like. 
honestly would welcome a fan fiction or, you know, <laughs> if we even want to max that, um, an HBO show <laughs> interpreting what this looks like behind the scenes. I think that'd be kind of like a law and order. Yeah. It's done. David Zoslav, it, do it. Get iced tea in there. <laughs> <laughs> iced tea. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's that's a really good point. And it looks like there was a lot of cause for panic in these offices that you're speaking of, because for the muggle news to say that he is armed and extremely dangerous. Interesting. He didn't say what he could be armed with. Right. <laughs> Probably just a wand or where he escaped from. That's the other big piece that's missing from this, because presumably if they had said Azkaban, Petunia would know what that is because she does bring that up later on in the series because she knows what Dementors are right. in Order of the Phoenix. So there's some groundwork for Sirius Black. But the focus in this chapter is mainly Aunt Marge. And Harry gets word that Marge is coming back for another visit to the Dursleys' home, this time for a week. We get a brief recap of previous visits, and they've never been pleasant for Harry. And this time, Harry is asked to be on his best behavior. He has to keep to a story about being enrolled at St. Brutus's Secure Center for Incurably Criminal Boys. Harry decides to use this visit to get Vernon to sign his Hogsmeade permission slip if he's on his best behavior. And what I find really interesting about this scene and a couple of moments we see later in the chapter is we're really seeing Harry push back against Vernon in a way that I don't think we have before. He says to Vernon he'll only keep a civil tongue if Marge is nice to him back and that he'll only behave himself if she does. In a way, this feels like a new Harry. Is this just the teen year, the teenage rebellion years beginning for him? Does he feel really motivated by the permission slip and empowered by the fact that he, Vernon really needs him to be on his best behavior in front of Marge? What do we think is going on here in terms of Harry's attitude? I think some of it also is that two years at Hogwarts and having friends and people that like him for himself and believe in him, it's given Harry a level of confidence that he didn't have before. I think it is some, you know, teenage rebellion. He is 13. And I think he wants that form filled out. But I think it's also a little bit of he has a sense that he can push back because he isn't just alone and stuck with the Dursleys. Worst comes to worst, he can get out of there and and yeah. go to the borough or somewhere exactly. else. Exactly. I yeah. agree. Sherry, Harry has options now. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's great to kind of see him in these moments and it's almost like he's not afraid of Vernon anymore either. Right. Yeah. There was this fear for such a long period of time having grown up with the Dursleys in terms of what Vernon would do to him as a result of his actions. Now, it's almost like he feels like he has carte blanche to go ahead and just behave in, in a way that would be expected of somebody who's 13 years old. And and I love the fact that he challenges Vernon now, too. And Vernon doesn't seem to push back too much. And again, this probably has to do with really needing Harry to come through for him when it comes to sticking to the story in front of Marge. In this particular case, he's leveraging Vernon's fear 
against him, yeah. right? He's he he would be deathly afraid of his sister finding out that he's harboring this young wizard in his home. And if that were to be revealed in any way, I'm sure Vernon would think that that's something to be ashamed of in front of his own flesh and blood. So I think that you know Harry is very smart to maneuver this all in the way that he does. Let's talk a bit more about how Marge came to be in the series. I read that Aunt Marge was based on the author's grandmother who preferred her dogs to human relatives. So not so much that grandma was a really evil person, just that grandma loved dogs more than humans, which actually is pretty common for a lot of people. I, yeah, I fall in that camp. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You prefer dogs to people, but you're not evil. I I don't think so. (laughs) No, you're not. You're not. Uh, Yeah, I, 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 I definitely feel that way as well sometimes. And the author later said she... This is very interesting. The author later said she regrets making Aunt Marge a breeder of bulldogs, as I now know them to be a non-aggressive breed. It's so interesting to me how um, conceptions of dog breeds... And I'm going to go on a little bit of a tirade here. I'm obsessed with dogs. I love my dog. Um... I I think it's interesting how these conceptions have varied over time. It feels like nowadays pit bulls are the breed that really have the bad reputation. Um, It can be hard, depending on where you live, to even be able to have a pit bull, even if it's a a mixed breed. Um, But we know that most cases of pit bull aggression are the fault of people, not the breed itself. And any dog can be aggressive given the right circumstances. And it just feels like this is a more commonly accepted viewpoint now than it was 30 years ago when these stories are taking place. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's very interesting. This is one of very few examples. I think we, we, where we've heard like, I regret doing this in the books. I wish I would have done this differently and like it's kind of a minor plot point the breed of the dog in the grand scheme of things but live and learn yeah for sure right jk rowling you live you learn and you change your mind about certain things in time well i don't know if she's gonna change her mind about everything (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about mean old marge she is obviously treating harry like garbage and uh, i wrote a different word of the doc suggesting he needs to be beaten worse at St. Brutus's. And, Sister Vernon, you mustn't blame yourself for the way the boys turned out, Vernon. If there's something rotten on the inside, there's nothing anyone can do about it. If there's something wrong with the bitch, there'll be something wrong with the pup. And that last line, of course, causes Harry to unintentionally break Marge's glass. And Vernon and Petunia are suspicious immediately that Harry's the reason the glass broke. I found it interesting. This is the second time Harry unintentionally altered glass. Back in book one, of course, he brings the glass down in the zoo. The zoo incident and this incident with Marge are the only two times outside of Hogwarts. He did it in the core story. I know there's backstory with things going on elsewhere. Is glass just a coincidence or or what? (laughs) Maybe items that are more fragile are just more susceptible to unintentional magic. That makes sense. There's just so much to unpack in these statements, though, because (sighs) when you look at her comment about 
you mustn't blame yourself for the way the boys turned out, Vernon. You have the complete opposite of Harry in Dudley sitting not that far away. And it's almost like you can apply what she's saying <laughs> to him. Like I'm almost wondering if J.K. Rowling subconsciously is trying to tell readers, look in Dudley's direction as opposed to Harry's direction here. And then this is something that I asked a little bit further down, but I think it's applicable here. When she says, if there's something wrong with the bitch, there'll be something wrong with the pup. She's talking about Petunia's mm -hmm. sister. Yeah. And she doesn't say anything, which just surprises me so much. The fact that if you're sitting there, that's your flesh and blood. And we know that Petunia did care for Lily. And the fact that she's unwilling to say anything in this moment and that it's Harry who has to really take action, that's just really surprising to me. To me, it seems like Petunia's style. Didn't she call Lily her dreaded sister and a freak mm -hmm. in the first book when they when Hagrid comes in and tells Harry he's a wizard? Yeah, she did. But that also stemmed from her being jealous that she didn't get to go to wizard, yeah. uh, go to Hogwarts. So I, yeah, I, you know, there was another line here. And to address your question, Micah, why doesn't Petunia stand up more for her sister? Marge does say. Now, I'm saying nothing against your family, Petunia, but your sister was a bad egg. They turn up in the best families. Then she ran off with a wastrel, and here's the result right in front of us. So it's almost like she's more blaming James in this moment. She ended up with a wastrel, and here's, here's the result of that. Still insulting, because you're saying Lily was part of the problem here, but it's not fully her fault. So if I'm trying to come up with an excuse to your question... right. That's the best line I've got for you. <laughs> That's the best defense. And it's not very good. I almost get the impression that the Dursleys are kind of afraid of Marge. And it's a very particular family dynamic. And I think everybody's probably experienced this where like maybe you have one family member who serves as like a sort of matriarch or patriarch when they're introduced into a mixed social setting and everybody kind of kowtows to what that person wants and their desires. Um, think about Ripper making a mess of Petunia's kitchen floor and Petunia's literally sitting there flinching as this dog is like spewing water and spit all over her perfectly clean floor. Um, they make a big fuss about her showing up. It seems like they're really concerned with impressing her for some reason. Yeah. And to your point, sometimes with a family member here in the muggle world, you know what to expect from them and you just let them go off. Aunt Marge is drinking again, talking politics. I'm never going to change her mind. I'm just going to sit here and nod. Sometimes you just sit there and let them let it out. But for Harry, though, he's been lied to his entire life about who his parents were. So to see somebody, and, and I'm not saying if Marge knew the truth, she would behave in any kind of different way. I'm sure she would actually behave much the same. But I think it's hard for Harry to have to sit there and listen to his parents be talked about this yeah. way, uh, especially with the way that he's been brought up by the Dursleys. And I just wanted to mention that while Marge is generally nasty to Harry, the gloves really come off when she starts to drink. 
you mentioned earlier, it's a glass, but it's actually a wine glass that explodes in her hand. And she mentions that the same thing actually happened a few weeks prior when she was at, uh, I, I say her booze place. Uh, we can talk more about that a little bit later on. Mr. Fubster or Colonel Fubster, is that his Colonel, name? Colonel, yeah. Colonel Fubs, yeah. We can unpack that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm wondering, is this an indictment on abuse levels rising, both verbal abuse and physical abuse when family members have a drinking problem? Because I think she has one. Yeah. Whether or not they have a problem. I mean, it's it's a reminder that when the drinks are flowing, uh, people can get really vicious, even more than they normally are. And yeah, you mentioned the wine glass. I think it's it's how it plays out in the book is she had a few glasses of wine and then Vernon starts offering her brandy. Not that this excuses it at all, but as a reader, especially in hind- hindsight, you see how it's building. You see, uh-oh, she's really drunk. This isn't going to go well. Well, it's two separate occasions, right? So the, the wine glass breaks initially, and then later on at the final mm. dinner she's uh yeah yeah i am being given that. a lot of brandy yeah. so she's presumably drinking at every meal again i'm not here to pass any judgment i enjoy drinks as well but i'm just saying <laughs> clearly it, it alters her from being nasty to really 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 nasty i think it's also an interesting contrast to hagrid who also sometimes has a drinking problem as we've seen um but I like the contrast because he's the opposite of a mean drunk. He's actually a very emotional, kind of sad drunk, it seems, a lot of the time. Um, he'll be jolly sometimes, too, but it's very much driven by his emotions. Um, but ultimately, his impaired judgment creates peril for Harry. A great example of that is... Um, him obtaining the dragon egg in Sorcerer's Stone from Coral Mort. Um, so even unintentionally, Hagrid creates unfavorable and unsafe situations for Harry when he's drunk. Marge is creating this incredibly unsafe psychological environment for him right because she's deliberately trying to be mean um but hagrid unintentionally creates issues for harry too through his drinking yeah people respond to alcohol differently make some really mean it doesn't excuse and by the way it this doesn't excuse any of marge's behavior with alcohol i mean she's she's horrible sober or drunk but alcohol does different things to different people to Laura's point, it can bring you down, make you more emotional, like like Hagrid. To Aunt Marge, it'll make you meaner. To some people, it'll bring you up. To others, uh, some people don't know their lines, and then they get too drunk. It's Alcohol is complicated, kids. <laughs> yeah, and I will say, reading this, because I haven't read this, I haven't read this book through in a number of years, um, and reading it now from an adult vantage point and thinking about how I interpreted this when I was reading it as a child, um, I was horrified to reread this chapter um, because it just hits, I think, so much harder as an adult Yeah, because you really, I think you have a deeper level of understanding for the ramifications and, and what it all really means. Yeah. 
really felt that way. You know, the line about, I think you should call them and tell them to use extreme force with the cane. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading this the first time and looking at my white cane in the corner and thinking that would hurt so much to be hit with that. And they probably use something even worse at a place like St. Brutus's, Mm -hmm. like a wooden cane, which would hurt him more. I just, she's advocating something that would seriously harm a child. Yeah. So let's talk more about the dynamics here. Did did Harry have to sit with Marge on multiple occasions during his visit? Clearly, Marge enjoys him there in that she gets to bully him. Did Vernon and Petunia want Harry to sit there so he could serve as a punching bag? Like, why couldn't he have just stayed up in his room? Good question. And it does make you wonder, do they enjoy letting him be verbally abused by Marge? If I were Vernon, though, I wouldn't want Harry to be around Marge because there's a real chance that he's going to lose it and use some magic. And that's exactly what Vernon doesn't want to happen. So you would think the opposite, but I'm kind of with you. I'm wondering, is Marge channeling many of the things Vernon and Petunia would like to say to Harry, but often don't like maybe Marge is a step or two above or a level or two above Vernon and Petunia. Um, And it also makes me think like what has Vernon told Marge about Harry that she has this much contempt for him. It's interesting that all this bias towards Harry really comes from Vernon's side of the family. Right. I think there's some text in the, I just read it by two different narrators this morning again And I think that there's some text where it says that Vernon might have liked Harry to go to his room, but Marge wanted Harry to be there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it says something along the lines of she wanted to be able to have him in her sight. She wanted to be able to monitor him or something. Yeah, Yeah, something like that. And several people in the Discord are bringing up a really great point. Um, Madge's zoology gal, uh, Danielle says, I personally feel like he, uh, he preferred that he is there to bully because, uh, Marge would probably focus on Harry and pick on Vernon less. So if you think about this, I don't know what their dynamic is exactly, but Marge might've bullied Vernon pretty badly when they were growing up. And that dynamic might still exist by introducing, Harry into the equation, there's a new target for Marge to focus on. Yeah. Marge was also older than Vernon. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. those family dynamics would play out that way with the older sister bullying the younger brother. Yeah. Mm. And just shouting out to others who contributed to that in the Discord, Nicole Court must be a Weasley. Yeah. This the Discord is just popping off today. <laughs> <laughs> Moving along here, on the final night, and we've touched on this a little bit so far, Marge does have that brandy and once again compares Harry to a mean dog. And then, and this is really the breaking point for Harry, she insults James. And Harry stands up for his father and tells Marge, no, they did not actually die in a car crash. And so Vernon, seeing how this is all transpiring orders harry up to his bedroom and for marge to have more brandy i don't think that's gonna help it (laughs) the situation vernon 
And one might wonder for a second if Vernon is actually trying to protect Harry from Marge here. I mean, he is separating them. That's good. Finally. <laughs> but he just doesn't want Harry to come clean about being a wizard. So maybe he's right. not actually. I-, I think he realizes this situation is going to escalate if Harry stays down here any longer. <laughs> yeah. But it's too late because the rage overtakes Harry as uh, Marge continues to abuse him. And he unintentionally turns her into a, quote, monstrous balloon. And there's a pretty big difference between the movie and the book here. In the movie, Marge floats outside and, like, into the sky, whereas in the book, she stays indoors, so she doesn't float away. But there's a huge commotion, including Marge's dog, Ripper, biting Vernon's leg when he's trying to pull Marge, his dear elder sister, back to the ground. Yeah, it's it, it, we see the situation really escalate once the brandy is introduced, and that's much like what we talked about uh, earlier on uh, in this chapter. I also thought it was interesting that Harry gets compared to a mean dog, knowing how much dogs play a role in this particular mm-hmm. book with Sirius. Good call out. Going off of what you just said, Andrew, I, I pulled this quote from the Harry Potter lexicon as it relates to Marge and her inflation. And it says, a woman whose sense of self-importance is inflated far beyond reason is herself inflated and ends up bobbing about on the ceiling, turned harmless and helpless and utterly laughable. I just thought that was a really great way to describe the situation. Love that. Harry really said here, not my father, you bitch. (laughs) (laughs) That was from Must Be a Weasley, 92. So Vernon sends Harry up to his room and Harry has just had it. He grabs his things and he hightails it out of there, but not before pointing his wand at Vernon and says, she deserved it. You keep away from me. And there's that teenage angst again, that rebellion phase coming in. And he just loved to see it from Harry. Yeah. And and it's followed by the classic, like, I'm running away from home situation that I'm sure we all went through as teenagers or our siblings went through as teenagers, where they get so frustrated with what's going on at home that they threaten to run away, or they actually maybe do for a short period of time. Uh, But I thought what was really kind of cool about this is this is the first time we see Harry actually leave Privet Drive on his own, because in Sorcerer's Stone, the whole situation that plays out, and then Hagrid comes to get him in Chamber of Secrets, Ron comes to the rescue. But in this book, Harry's really acting independently, and it goes back to the points that were raised about the fact he's a teenager now. He's doing things of his own accord. He's not, you know, he's he's willing to push back against Vernon. So it's 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 kind of interesting that this is the first time we see him kind of take matters into his own hands and leave. Was the blood protection still working after that? Because did Harry think to himself that? The Dursleys was not home anymore. He willingly walked out. Ooh. Haven't we spoken previously, and it's probably been a really long time, that Harry simply checking in quick is sufficient for the protection to stay in place? Because it still reestablishes that that's a home for him, whether he feels that way or not. I think so. Yeah. Because he's only there briefly in the next book. Yeah. Because he goes to the Quidditch World Cup. Yeah, so just simply checking in, I, I think, is is enough. Moving on to some odds and ends from this chapter, 
So I mentioned this earlier, and, and I'm curious, Colonel Fubster, who we get a couple mentions of in this chapter, are him and Marge kind of dating? Is is this a, a relationship within the uh, wizarding world, or I guess muggle world in this case? Uh, she seems to spend some time with him, the dogs, you know. Should we do a name origin for Colonel Fubster to get a real- <laughs> Yeah, so, I, uh, well, I was I was looking this up, Fubster- means to make a mistake like a fub but it would make sense you know a guy who makes a mistake he's with marge she yeah. a mistake i don't know. well so i i did some reading into this i i can't remember where exactly i read this i apologize but i think it's technically canon marge was in- interested in colonel fubster but not the other way around it was an unrequited love oh so if you can believe it this person wasn't interested in marge yeah. <laughs> and I think part of the reason why was her dogs. Yeah. Her mustache. She was too she no, she was too into the dogs. She does bring him up quite a bit and it does seem a little desperate the way she does it. It's like she's trying to find excuses to interject his name into the conversation. <laughs> a sign that she's really got feelings for him. And the fact that he was a colonel, right? That carries yeah. a level of significance to it. Although like I'm thinking of like for all we know Colonel Fubster could be another one of her bulldogs. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Honestly, cuz of that name, it does kind of feel like a nickname for a dog, it doesn't it? It does feel like a doesn't dog. <laughs> but yeah, a colonel, a leader, somebody who's willing to go to war, like I think you can see the aspects that Marge likes when you see how she treats Harry. Mhm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this too. Marge definitely has Umbridge vibes to her. I feel like they would get along very well. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is in a way warming us up for book five. Yeah. It's a nice connecting the threads moment. I've got one for you connecting threads. Does Harry do wandless magic at the end there? It says he's heading toward the cupboard under the stairs to get his trunk. His wand is in the trunk. And it says the door magically opened. Yeah. And in Order of the Phoenix... He drops his wand and when the Dementors are attacking him in Dudley. And he says, Lumos, and the wand lights up. Oh, oh, nice. That's a really good catch. Yeah, and it is it is interesting how Harry's rage, you know, we were speaking a lot about obscurials and not being able to control your magic after the first Fantastic Beast movie. And it is interesting rereading this unintentional magic with Fantastic Beast 1, at least in mind. It kind of gives you a different perspective. Strong emotions, I guess. Anger yep. in this yeah. book, fear in the fifth book with the Dementors. Yeah, and his magic is being suppressed, just like Credence's was. And I think I think the author did confirm that Harry wasn't technically an Obscurus. Do I have that right? But it's kind of... Yeah. They're going through similar things, so it's natural to draw a line there. He could have been. I think maybe yeah. that's the point, is that if, you know... If he didn't they, go to Hogwarts. Yeah, if he hadn't successfully gotten away from the Dursleys and gone to Hogwarts, he very well could have been an Obscurial. Yeah. I think so. Well, keeping on the uh, the dog front, I, I thought that there was something to be said for the fact that Aunt Marge's favorite dog is named Ripper. It reminded me of Jack the Ripper who terrorized London in the late 1800s. And we know that he's not a very nice dog. He chews uh, Vernon's leg at the end of this chapter. He generally makes a mess throughout most of the chapter. But I will go back to something that was said earlier. A lot of that probably has to do with how Marge 
treats him, uh, but it, there is something to be said uh, for for his name. He's also just a terror, and I think you can, you know, tie that back to the name Ripper as well. Yeah, and again, goes to Marge's like strong interest in in violence and violent types of people and people who want to fight. Like, oh, Ripper, what an attractive name! I gotta have that dog. You know, although I will say he he bites Vernon when Vernon's trying to help Marge. So I think we could do a reading here to say that Ripper was being like, no, let her go. <laughs> She's off. Let her go. Just let her go. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's hilarious. <laughs> I love that, Laura. Yeah. Uh, so elsewhere, Marge says to Harry that she'd have sent him to an orphanage if he showed up at uh, her doorstep, to which Harry thinks to himself he'd rather be there than the Dursleys. I wonder wondered if this was an intentional Harry-Tom Riddle parallel, of course, with Tom Riddle being in an orphanage. Maybe a little nod to that. And here's a number 12 reference. Harry was trying to remember page 12 of his book during one of Marge's drunken verbal outbursts. And just a quick reminder, as I said early on in our Sorcerer's Stone chapter-by-chapter chapter reread, there are many references to the number 12 throughout the series, and I'm keeping an eye on all of them. Andrew, you actually just made me think of something, because when Harry is being terrorized by Marge, there's this tendency for him to think of really positive moments Yes, um, and tied back to the gifts he got from Ron and Hermione. And we know that during this book in particular, he's terrorized by Dementors and how do you fight off a Dementor? You have to think of a very positive mm. memory. So I wonder if this is kind of laying the groundwork a little bit for that. Yeah, that's a good call out. And something I think all of us, you know, if you if you are in therapy, um, that is something I think your therapist might teach you about. When you're going through something tough, just focus on something that's going to clear your head or relax you. In the case of Harry, in this chapter, it was his Quidditch handbook that would help calm him down but yeah that's a that's a great point too about the patronus and my last odds and ends notes just to uh wrap things up on marge her memory will later be wiped by the accidental magic reversal squad from the ministry of magic to forget that this whole ordeal ever happened and this is the last time we see marge so one and done Good riddance. Marge. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> if only we could have said the same thing about Umbridge. She's just confined to one chapter. But it was kind of interesting that the Dursley trio's memory, Vernon, Petunia, Dudley, their memories aren't wiped. I guess it doesn't matter since they know he's a wizard anyway. Yeah, yeah. I suppose so. At this point, I mean, Hagrid, Dobby... Aunt Marge, like <laughs> it is kind of funny that her memory ends up being wiped because Vernon's whole concern at the start of this chapter was she can't find out you're a wizard. Harry could have just said, "Hey, we can just have somebody wipe her memory if she accidentally finds out." <laughs> Maybe that would have made him feel better. And now it's time for MVP of the week. I'm gonna give it to Harry's attitude for getting what he deserves and standing up for what's right. I'm going to give mine to Ripper because honestly, Vernon has had that coming. <laughs> I'm going to give it to the broom servicing kit, which Harry tries to use to channel his mental energy during those ridiculous conversations with Aunt Marge. 
shoot, I was going to give mine to the handbook of do-it-yourself broom care from the broom servicing kit. Should I come up do with it something anyway. different? Okay, that's mine. No, yeah, yeah that's of great. course. That was a good one. Honestly, I was thinking something along those lines as well. It's hard. There's just so many bad people in these chapters. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, really. It's like, do I give it to the Brandy? <laughs> the Brandy. No, that enabled Marge. No. At first, I, when I was getting ready to be on this, I forgot that this chapter ended before the big black dog startles Harry into accidentally uh, calling the night bus and I was going to give it to the big black dog. But, you know, <laughs> that didn't happen until a few minutes later. Yeah. By the way, Sherry, you mentioned earlier you listened to both audiobook versions of this chapter. Yeah. Do you, or maybe there's somebody else I don't know of, but do you prefer Stephen Fry or Jim Dale's narration? Jim Dale. Okay. Because of all the voices? Yeah, all the voices. And also, he was the first. Oh. I didn't hear Stephen Fry till years later. I see. Okay. Jim Dale's been on our show. He has? Yeah, we've met him. Been a while. Oh, my goodness. It was like back in 2008, 2009, but we did interview him. He did some voices for us. He inter- he introed the show, actually, for a period of time. Yeah. Well, if you have any feedback about today's episode or the chapters ahead, you can send an owl to mugglecast at gmail.com, or you can use the contact form on mugglecast.com. You can also send a voice message. Just record it using the voice memo app on your phone and then email us that file or use our phone number, which is one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. By the way, at least one listener has used the phone number to test using a phone. It may have been Ron himself. <laughs> We'll have to play that on the next Muggle Mail. That's but amazing. We, that, did, <laughs> that did come in. All right. And by the way, we are recording another new bonus MuggleCast installment this week, available exclusively for patrons. We haven't spoken about it on the main show yet, but an official Harry Potter encyclopedia of sorts has been announced. And we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about why it's not the encyclopedia that we've been hoping for. And we're also going to uh, go back in time to previous promises of an official encyclopedia coming. So that'll be available at patreon.com slash mugglecast. I, I remember something, uh, found something on JK Rowling's website. At, and, and remember, we had to like... Yes. I, I have know. a note. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. And I have a note in our uh, plans today. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm glad you could read my mind. I remember exactly where I was, where Micah said, hey, I just saw J.K. Rowling confirmed she's working on an encyclopedia. And then they took it down off their website, right? <laughs> yeah, they did. That's this right. so funny. Now I remember. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. So much drama. <laughs> Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Oh, God, so much. We'll get into the court trial, too. <laughs> oh, that's right. But for now, it's time for Quizzage. Last week's Quizage question. How much does Dudley get paid to hug Aunt Marge? And despite what you may think, the answer not enough is not correct. <laughs> he gets a crisp 20-pound note. And uh, thank you, Eric, for putting the winners in here. Um, I was more than happy to pull them, but uh, since Eric uh, jumped in, uh, congratulations to Artemis Fido Jr. the second. Marge's mustache, legalized gillyweed, hamutual or ham- hamutal, Elizabeth K, Buff Daddy, Sir King of Kings, 
If you enjoy listening to MuggleCast, clap your hands. Awning 506, Chosen Taco, A Wiggle in Your Wardrobe, Your Favorite Nephi Poo, and Forrest and Henry, age 10. Aww. So I guess we have two younger listeners. Congrats to Forrest and Henry for getting the correct answer. Next week's quizage question. Following that terrifying incident that Sherry just mentioned, what name does Harry give to Stan Shunpike when he boards the night bus? And it is different in the movies than it is in the books. So don't just rely on the last time you saw Prisoner of Azkaban, the film. So just hit up MuggleCast.com slash Quizage to submit your answer. A couple other reminders before we wrap up. If you can't or don't want to support us on Patreon, you are able to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts for $2.99 a month, and you'll get access to ad-free MuggleCast and early access to each new episode of the show right within the Apple Podcasts app. Though if you do subscribe, if you do pledge on Patreon, you will get a custom RSS feed. You can pop into Apple Podcasts and most other podcast apps. Very exciting news. Spotify and Patreon have finally announced an integration. And soon, Spotify users will be able to get our Patreon content right within the Spotify app as well. Make sure you're following MuggleCast for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode every Tuesday. And we would love a five-star review if they allow you to leave a review in your app. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Sherry, thanks so much for joining today. It was so great having you on the program. Yeah. Thank you. I had such a great time. Sherry, thanks so much for your longtime listenership and your support and for joining us today and for those amazing stories you shared at the top of the show. You know, Harry Potter has really opened up so many doors and opportunities for so many people and really improved the literature world for the better, including through accessibility, which you reminded us of today. That does it for this week's episode of the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Sherry. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. Yes, we got a y'all in there. I'm not the only (laughs) one. (laughs) 